0: Well, good morning, and once again, welcome to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. It is a beautiful day here in Southern California. I don't think we could ask for any better weather, so it is great to see so many of you out here this morning. And can I just say that it's awesome to have people in the auditorium again? (laughs) I know that you guys are happy to be here, but trust me, I'm even happier that you are here because preaching to an empty room was getting really, really old. So it is great to have you guys here. I'm thankful for those of you that are here and those of you who are in the courtyard as well as those of you on our live stream audience. It's just great to be continuing to do the work of the church. And if you've been watching the last couple of weeks, we've had some really amazing things going on here at the church. We've had three baptisms in about the last week and a half. So we are still just moving forward with kingdom work despite these weird circumstances that we found ourselves in for the last year or however long this thing's been going on. It feels like it's been about 10 years. Um, But I'm just excited and I'm excited that you guys are excited to be here. And each week we're starting to see more and more people come back as people are getting their vaccines and starting to feel more comfortable. And we're offering, you know, indoor worship and outdoor worship and at-home worship. So I love the fact that everybody can do what they want to do to feel comfortable, but yet we can still come together as a church family, whether it's live or whether it's Virtually, So thank you so much for being here this morning. It is just a gorgeous day and today we are going to jump into part three of our series on Nehemiah. I love the book of Nehemiah and it's one that oftentimes gets overlooked. Um, You can kind of look out of it as Ezra and Nehemiah being part one and part two. So if you get the chance and you want to incorporate into your Bible reading, if you want to take a look at the book of Ezra, you'll get some good background information that leads right into the book of Nehemiah. But today we're going to focus on chapter two, the second half of chapter two. If you remember last week, we talked about the fact that Nehemiah went to King Artaxerxes and basically asked for a lot of stuff. Right, He not only asked to rebuild the wall, which keep in mind, this is the very same king that said no more work was to be done on the city and on the walls. So not only did he have the courage to ask that, but if you remember from last week, he also asked for a decree from the king. He asked for soldiers from the king for safety and for manual labor. And he even asked for the parts necessary to build the wall, including Enough wood to build a house for himself. So Nehemiah was just in tune with what God wanted to do in his life and had the courage and the boldness through that relationship with God to ask for all of those things that he needed to make this happen. And that's kind of where we're going to pick up today. We're going to pick up uh, after the point that, that Nehemiah has kind of set out on this amazing journey and we're going to kind of see where this takes us. So I want to ask you guys a question as we start this morning. What is your plan? Now I know that's a loaded question, right? But what is your plan for today, the next month, the next year, maybe the next 10 years? What is your plan? Do you have a plan? Do you have a vision of what you want to happen in your life? Or even better yet, do you have a plan or a vision of what you want God to do through you for the rest of your life? Now, Nehemiah knew what God wanted him to do. He had a very clear plan in his mind of what he wanted to do and what this vision that God had placed on his heart was. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like, wow, I don't feel like I have a vision from God. Just wait, it'll happen. But that's part of what our prayer life with God is all about. See, we, th- we often think of our prayer life as kind of being a one-way street, right? We-, we send up these prayers to heaven, but we don't feel like we always necessarily get an answer or get a response. And that's where it's really important that we learn to tune in to the Holy Spirit. Because that's where God speaks to and through us is through the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it's just an urge and sometimes it's just a feeling. Or maybe you even have one of those epiphany moments where you wake up in the morning and you go, hey, this is what I need to be doing with my life. And that's okay if you haven't felt that yet. But Nehemiah clearly had this going on. Well, here's the good news. Is God puts this vision in your heart. And what he's calling you to do in the short term, the midterm, and the long term in your life. But there are some key steps that must take place along the way to make this happen. As we go through this story today in the book of Nehemiah, I want you to think through each step of this process. I want you to think about these things that Nehemiah did and this kind of blueprint that Nehemiah used. And then when we get to the end of our lesson today, I'm going to draw that out for you. And we're going to look at what was Nehemiah's blueprint and how do we incorporate that into our own lives as well. You may have noticed that today the, uh, the title of the sermon was interrogating your reality. Or maybe a better term for that would be clarifying your reality. Now, most of you will notice the person on the screen. This is Kobe Bryant. And it's been a little over a year since we lost Kobe Bryant and the other people on that plane. But the reason that I want to look at this story is this tragedy occurred because the pilot failed to interrogate his reality. Now, we know if you followed that story or if you heard that story, and, and it's been just over a year, so kind of on the anniversary, there's a lot of retellings of this story, but especially here in Southern California, we heard a lot about this. And if you know the situation, the weather was terrible that day. And the FAA was recommending that no one fly that day. Helicopters were grounded that day. And for whatever reason, the pilot decided to make the decision to fly that day. And we all know how the story goes from there. Unfortunately, the fog was so thick, he couldn't see. He actually ended up flying into the side of a mountain and we lost Kobe and Kobe's daughter and I believe six other people on that plane. See, lots of people were impacted by that. Whether it was fans, whether it was Kobe's wife and his other children, whether it was the families of all of the other people on that helicopter, that pilot's decision and failure to interrogate the reality of the situation, which was, hey, I should not be flying this helicopter today, ended up being very detrimental and ended up hurting a lot of people and a lot of lives. And we're going to see today that this is something that Nehemiah got right. See, Nehemiah is a great example of leadership. And some of you may be saying, well, I'm not really in leadership, but we're all in leadership. Whether we're leading our children, whether we're leading our families, whether we're leading our spouses, whether we're leading at work or a manager or a quote-unquote boss, we're all leading. And Nehemiah's example of leadership is powerful. Because he just does things the right way. And remember, we talked about this. He was not a priest, he was not of the priestly line, so to speak. He was just a layperson that God used in a very, very powerful way. So that's where we're going to kind of pick up today. And we're going to start in Nehemiah chapter two, verse 10. And I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, or if you want to look here on the screen, I want to encourage you to kind of read along with me as we do this, because I think it's important not only to hear the Word, but to see the Word and to read the Word as well. So let's pick up Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10. It says, when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Amorite official, heard about this, they were very much disturbed, and someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites." So you may be asking yourself, much like I was, who are these two guys and why are they so important that we list them by name as we go through our story of Nehemiah? Well, these were very powerful, very influential men. Now, you have to realize if you're, not, if you're maybe not a geography uh, major or you haven't really studied the area that we're talking about, Jerusalem, right, was kind of surrounded by these unfriendly territories, okay? They were surrounded by people who were very anti-Jew, very anti-Israelite, and very anti-Jerusalem. So these folks were really happy about the fact that this city had been destroyed, and they wanted to keep it that way. And that's where these two people are coming into play. And the reason I give you that background is so that you understand these two people were not happy with what was going on. Now, they were connected to the high priest and the high priest family. And Sambalot, we find later on in documentation, and I don't know, unfortunately, if at the time of this story he was or not, but at some point he is actually the governor of Samaria. So this was a very powerful person. This wasn't just a random guy coming by to say, hey, Nehemiah, what are you doing? This was a very powerful person who has gotten wind of what is going on. Tobiah was the director of intelligence. Read into that, spies. Okay, he had, he had sent out spies to try and figure out what was going on. Because somehow, even though Nehemiah has not laid out his plans yet, somehow these spies have gotten word back to these two men and they're not happy. And we'll, we'll, we'll see them come back a little bit later on in our story. But let's go ahead and jump ahead to verses 11 and verse 12. In verses 11 and 12, we see, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there for three days. Now, that kind of jumped out at me. It says he went to Jerusalem and he waited three days. And I got to thinking about that. And of course, I'm speculating a little bit here. But why would he have gone to Jerusalem and then just kind of hung out for three days? Well, from what we know of Nehemiah, we know that kind of his M.O., right, is self-reflection, prayer, and fasting. So I have to assume that he was probably resting up, he was probably praying, and possibly fasting, and he was getting ready for this big undertaking that he was about to take on. Because remember, he's going to try to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. That is not going to be a small task. That wouldn't be a small task today with all of the technology that we have So imagine what this must have been like back in his day. They didn't have cranes. They didn't have heavy equipment. They didn't have all the things that we have now. This was going to be a huge undertaking. So the thought is he was probably just kind of taking some time to rest and to pray and just to prepare. Because from what we know about Nehemiah, right, he doesn't do anything quickly. He actually spends time and thought. If you remember from our last lesson, it was four months Right From the time that he had gotten the word that the city was in ruins and that the people had begun pagan worship before he went to the king and asked for what he wanted to do. Four months. So once again, we see Nehemiah taking a deep breath, preparing himself so that he can go about this in the right way. If we pick up in verse 12, it says, I set out during the night with a few others. Now, interesting enough, he set out during the night. Why would he do it during the night? Because again, he's not ready to lay out this plan yet. He knows that Jerusalem is surrounded by people who don't want this to happen. So again, he's thinking through the process. He's thinking carefully about things. He goes in the, in the dead of night where people won't see him. It says, I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Again, he's so connected. He's talking about what God had put on his heart. He always gives God the glory. He never says what I'm going to do. He always says what God has asked me to do. It says, there were no mounts with me except the one I was riding. So again, he was the one on horseback. He says he went out with a few, so the other people would have, in theory, been walking. Verse 13, it says, by night I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal wall and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem. Now, I did kind of a deep dive on this, and and you can look this up if you really want to, to see kind of the path that he took around that. And just in case you're wondering, yes, the Dung Gate is exactly what it sounds like. It's where they took all the waste out of the city. Now, as we continue, it it says, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. So again, we we get this idea that Jerusalem is just in ruins. The walls have been torn down and the gates have been burned. And if, if you think about this, the walls would have been made of stone, so they wouldn't have necessarily burnt. But the gates were all wooden gates. So those would have been very susceptible to fire. So whoever had destroyed the city, they did it for a reason, right? They didn't want the city to be rebuilt. It says, then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool. But there was not enough room for my mount to get through. If we continue in verse 15, it says, So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because, as yet, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officers or any others who would be doing the work. That's key right there where he says he hasn't even told the people who are going to be doing the work yet of what he's got in mind. So again, until he has the whole plan laid out, he's not going to do anything about it. He hasn't even told anyone because he's, he's kind of trying to get his ducks in a row, so to speak. He wants to make sure he's got this whole plan laid out before he jumps right into it and starts telling people of this master plan that he has. So in verse 17... It says, then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. It says, Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. So here's the rallying cry, right? Nehemiah knows that even though he's got God on his side, right? He can't do this on his own. It's just not possible. It's way too large of an undertaking. So here he's rallying the troops, right? He's saying, look at this city. The city's in disgrace. Her people are in disgrace. We've got to do something about it. So he's trying to rally the people together. It says, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king has said to him. They replied, let us start building. So they began the good work. Now, I love this, right? Because once again, what does he do? And I want to point this out to you every time I see it because it's so important. He gives God the glory. See, Nehemiah gets it. And we forget that sometimes. Sometimes we get so carried away with the things that we do that we forget to give the credit back where it belongs. And that's to give that credit back to God. And we say, hey, I'm really good at sports because I've worked hard. And that's true. But God gave you the ability. And you say, hey, I've worked really hard in my profession to get where I am today. And I'm sure that's true. But God gave you the ability and God gave you the gifts to use to be successful at the, at the profession that you've chosen or at the thing that you love to do. And that's really important. And Nehemiah got this, right? He got this. He was always giving that glory back to God where it belongs. Now, a couple of things I want to point out about Jerusalem itself. I love the fact that it took an outsider's perspective to get this process started. The city's been laying in ruins for a long time, years and years, decades and decades. But it took Nehemiah coming in from the outside to say, whoa, 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 guys, what's going on here? Why are we allowing, right? Why are we allowing the city of the great king, the joy of all this earth, which is how Jerusalem has been referred to, to lay in ruins? Do we not have enough pride in our city? Do we not have enough pride in in, in what was at one point the dwelling place of God to be able to rebuild this city back to the glory that it should be in? It took Nehemiah to come in from the outside to say, whoa, 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 guys, what are you doing here? Have you ever thought about that in your own life? You think you're doing everything right, and you think everything is going perfectly And then somebody from the outside kind of gives their perspective, and you go, huh, I had never thought about it that way. That's exactly what we have going on here. The people that lived there had just kind of gotten used to the reality. They had just gotten used to the fact that, hey, this is just life now. The city's broken down. The gates are burned. This is just us now. And it took somebody coming in from the outside to say, this is not it. This is not the way. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had that aha moment where somebody completely outside gives you their perspective and you just are stopped dead in your tracks? I've been there. I've been there lots of times. I've been in meetings where, man, I thought I knew exactly what we needed to do. And somebody else goes, but have you thought of this? See, we can't do things alone. We can't. Nehemiah got that. He rallied the troops, gave the glory back to God, and provided that perspective of what needed to be done because he got it, even though the people didn't get it. Because we have to remember that the people, right, who who were there at this time, we, we found out in chapter one, right, were off the rails. They had not been keeping to the covenant. They had not been following God. They had gone and done their own thing. And it had just become normal. But Nehemiah's coming in and he's going to try and change all that. And Nehemiah, this story gets really, really good the deeper into this story that we get. And we see the things that are happening and the things that Nehemiah is trying to do. It gets better and better as we kind of go along. But he's rallying the troops. Right? He's bringing the people together. You know, we talk a lot about better together. That's one of my key phrases that I probably use way too much. We talk about being better together because I believe that with all my heart and soul. Nehemiah is getting people together to rebuild the city. Let's look at verse 19 and 20. It says, But when Sambalot the Hornite and Tobiah the Amorite officials and Geshem, so now we have another one, the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this thing that you're doing? They asked. Are you rebuilding against the king? So here's these guys, right, from from three of the surrounding territories that are coming in to say, whoa, 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 what are you doing? You can't do that. You're not even allowed to do that. The king has already said you can't do that. Because they don't know at this point that the king has given this decree. And this is exactly what is supposed to be happening. So they're going to do everything in their power to slow down and or stop this from taking place. And here we see a third person has come into the mix, right? So they're they're, they're gaining momentum and trying to gain people to stop this building process. So they're coming in to say, guys, you can't do this. He says, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. Again, glory to God, right? The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. He's basically saying, Look, this is our project. This is what God has asked us to do, and you're not going to stop us. That's leadership. Leadership is not letting the opposition stop you from accomplishing your goals. And that's exactly what Nehemiah has done. Does that sound familiar to anyone? We're in the middle of a pandemic, right? A pandemic could have easily stopped the church from doing the work of the church. But it didn't. What it did was it caused us to find new ways to do the things that we do. We were able to improve our live stream, which was already really good. We were able to start doing our Wednesday night Bible studies by Zoom. We were able to do our children's worship by video. We didn't stop doing the work of the church because this virus came in and this pandemic hit. We didn't let the opposition stop us from doing the work of the Lord. Yeah, we had to take a step back and think about the way we do things. And I don't know what things will look like going forward. I know it probably will never be the same as it was before the pandemic. And I'm not sure that's a bad thing. Because again, we've found new and different ways to spread the gospel so that we can reach more people than ever before. And we're going to keep doing that. But we got to not let the opposition stop us. And that's exactly what Nehemiah teaches us. So what what is our blueprint? What is our blueprint? How do we do the same thing that Nehemiah did? How do we do that? Let's look at some of the things that he did, and hopefully you picked out a few of these things as you went through. He interrogated the situation. He knew what he was getting himself into. And that's why he didn't tell anyone. It says over and over again, I haven't told anyone, I haven't told anyone, I haven't told anyone. Because he knew the situation. He knew that these people from around Jerusalem were going to come in to try to stop him if he didn't, if he, if he told anyone, if he didn't keep this a secret. So he kept it to himself. See, we have to understand our reality. We have to understand our situation. We have to understand where we're at and where we want to go. But if we don't know where we're at to start, how do we ever know where we're going to go? Nehemiah got that right we have to define our mission what is our mission we talked about this a little bit last week what is the vision for us and what is the vision for the church and I hope you thought about some of those things that we talked about last week but what is our vision our vision is to love God and to put him first our vision is to love each other our vision is to share the gospel that's our vision And that's not to say that you have to go into full-time ministry. That's not what I'm talking about. We can share that anywhere that we go. We had a lady join us this morning. One of our members was doing some, some work in her home. Started talking to her about the gospel. Started talking to her about our church. And guess what? She came to join us today. Perfect example of the fact that anywhere can be your mission field. And that you can talk to people about Jesus and you can reach people for Jesus anything that you do and anywhere that you go. We gotta motivate others. This is a tough one, right? It's a tough one. It's hard to motivate people sometimes. It's really hard to motivate people to do things they don't wanna do. But we gotta motivate people. And how do we motivate people to share Jesus? We show them the love that we have. We talk to them about the things that Jesus has done in our own lives. There's a time and a place to sit down with a Bible and go verse by verse with people. There is a time and a place for that. I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that. But that's also the thing that stops most people from sharing Jesus, is because they don't feel that they can or want to do that. Well, guess what? You don't have to. There's a million Bible studies out there. But what you can do is you can talk to them about the things that Jesus has done in your own life. You can talk to them about how much better your life is with Jesus in it. And that can be way more powerful than sitting down and going verse by verse with someone. And that's how you motivate people to want to follow Jesus. Is it a foolproof plan? Of course not. But it's a great starting point. When they see that passion that you have for Jesus, when they hear about how much better your life is with Jesus, they naturally want a part of that. When things are going well, people want to get on that bandwagon. Perfect example, how many Buccaneers fans are there out there right now? When six months ago there were no Buccaneers fans, or at least not around here. But see, they won, and people want to get on that bandwagon. Well, guess what? I've read the Bible. Guess who wins? We do. Everybody should want to be on that bandwagon. But we got to motivate them to do that. And we do that by showing them love and showing them our love for Jesus and what he's done for us. We've got to give God the glory. And I think we've hit that one a few times this morning, so I'm not going to spend much time on that one. But we've got to always remember to give the glory back to where it belongs. It's not me, me, me. It's not look at what I did. Nehemiah not once in our story has said, I decided I want to rebuild the walls. I am going to rebuild the city. Nope. Every time he says, God has put it on my heart, God has given me the glory, God will ensure me victory, he's always pointing it right back to God and not himself. And you can't let your opposition stop you. Guys, there's going to be obstacles, right? There's always obstacles. There's obstacles in life. But, but you have two options when you run into an obstacle. You either run into an obstacle and you say, uh, you know what, I quit, I'm done, I can't do it. Or you say, what did God want me to learn from this obstacle? What is God trying to teach me from this obstacle? And guess what? Once you learn that lesson, you get to move forward even stronger and better than you were before. But it's up to you. What do you do when you, find, when you run into opposition? Do you throw up your hands and go, nope, not going to do it? Or do you say, all right, this is tough, and this is not fun, and I hate this, but what can I learn from this? So that either it doesn't happen again, or the next time it happens, I know how to deal with it. That's what opposition does for us. You can either look at it as a stopping point, or you can look at it as a launching point for you to get even better than you were before. And keep moving forward. Everybody knows I'm a big Disney fan. Finding Nemo. What does Dory say over and over again? Just keep swimming. But guess what? As Christians, that's exactly what we have to do. Is we got to keep trying and we got to keep learning and we got to keep trying to get others to follow Jesus as well because our job is to go out and make disciples. And it's not always easy and it's not always fun. But guess what? Just like Dory says, we got to keep moving forward and forward and forward and forward. That's his plan for our lives. Nehemiah had a great blueprint in place. And there's so much that we can learn from this. And there's so much that we can take away from this. And if we'll apply these things to our lives, then guess what? We can be a leader, and we can be that leader that leads others to Jesus. I want to leave you with one last scripture. And this comes from 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I love that verse so much. Paul's letter to the, to the church at Corinth. And yes, he's not talking directly about our story in Nehemiah, but he could be. This, this could, be, it could be encouragement that he could have been given to Nehemiah. Obviously, they were not alive at the same times, but... But, but it's fitting is what I'm saying, is this would be a fitting verse for our story. Let nothing move you. That's easier said than done. But if we can channel that, if we can focus on that, if we can try to do that, it'll make things so much easier. Next week, we'll pick up in chapter three. So if you want to read ahead, uh, you can read Nehemiah chapter three. And we're going to continue this story as Nehemiah starts to attempt to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and revitalize a nation. And that's what this whole series is about. It's about revitalization. It's about revival. It's about rebuilding. And maybe you're in a point today where you need to rebuild your own walls. You have an opportunity to do that this morning. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and and you've just let the enemy break those walls down, and, and you need to talk to someone, and you need to pray with someone, and you want to get back on track. You have an opportunity to do that in just a few minutes. Or maybe you've never been baptized for the remission of sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have an opportunity to do that here this morning. If we can help you in any way, I want to invite you to come forward. I want to invite you to email me, Aaron, at mvchurch.org. If we can help you in any way, please feel free to do so as we stand together and as we sing. Amen.